Hi, everyone. This is John Christensen with a brand new episode of the Wealth Confidant podcast. Wealth is a gift that opens up a world of opportunities, yet it also comes with unexpected challenges, both emotional and financial. Isolation, relationship strain, and a lack of purpose can affect wealth creators at any level of professional experience. These difficulties are amplified when even more wealth is gained suddenly. I've witnessed firsthand situations where wealth created freedoms and choices for sure, but also relationship challenges in marriage with family and friends and even with kids, not to mention the history and emotional baggage around money that can often be unhealthy. The pressures of navigating abrupt affluence are heightened when you factor in the lack of education around financial literacy. The newly wealthy are often left wondering who they can trust and how to navigate the wealth present in their lives. My guest today, former NBA star Troy Murphy, has made it his mission to assist clients in managing their newfound resources. He's also committed to creating financially prepared, responsible, and savvy consumers. Troy entered the professional sports world at the age of 20 to play for the Golden State Warriors and found himself and his teammates grappling with how to handle their new financial reality. Unlike wealth creators in the business world, professional athletes spend most of their time focused on their craft without gaining real-world money management experience. After retiring from basketball, Troy set out to become the resource he wished he'd had when he was a rookie. He recently launched his own financial advisory firm called Sweven Wealth. Sweven is tuned to the needs of athletes, and 100% of their profit is donated to charity, namely high school consumer awareness and financial literacy programs. Bravo to Troy. To check out Troy's work as an investment advisor and philanthropist, head over to Sweven Wealth, that's S-W-E-V-E-N wealth.com. Troy and I also discuss how to define yourself outside of work, where he finds true fulfillment, practical advice based on his own money experience, and who the greatest NBA player of all time really is. Hey, Troy. Super excited to have you on The Wealth Confidant, and I just appreciate you taking the time to join me for a conversation. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on here, John. I just wanted to start out by asking you the question, how somebody who's an NBA player all of a sudden kind of turns into a wealth manager? I want to kind of know how that happened. Can you can you fill us in? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it occurred as I transitioned through my NBA career. I started off, I left school at 20, and kind of embarked on this professional career. And I didn't really have a good idea as to how to navigate the financial aspect of becoming a professional. So I, I hired some investment advisors that, you know, I didn't necessarily think that their strategies were as sound as they could have been. And I kind of went on an odyssey over my career of trying to figure out a, a sustainable way to invest the money that I made. And want to, now that I'm finished playing, pay it forward to different people that are in similar kind of circumstances. What is the conversation that happens kind of behind the closed doors, if you will, where professional athletes hang out? What is the general conversation about financial advice and, and what kind of advice guys are getting or, or do guys not talk about it? A lot of times from what I've noticed is guys are playing it close to the best. 
they will have the MBA Players Association or the MBA will send in representatives to do financial literacy programs. And as you look around the room in the locker room, as, as these programs are taking place, you see a lot of guys that are, whether it's there's a, they're hesitant to ask questions or hesitant to kind of put themselves out there in a way because no one wants to seem foolish or, or ask a dumb question. And I think a lot of times guys don't ask things and, and a lot of things are left unsaid and it leads to potential problems as, as guys transition through their career. But you're on the road with each other. I assume you've got friendships. And, and is there just kind of casual conversation just about, hey, what are you doing? What am I doing? You know, what mistakes have we made or just taboo? We just don't talk about it. No, you definitely have conversations. But I think it's like anything else. You only hear about the winners. Mm. You only hear about the good investments that people make. You don't really hear too much about the, the losers. Somehow those get lost in the conversation. And I think that's normal for, for any kind of workplace. You know, you hear people that are bragging or, or talking about their returns and their investment and things like that, and they forget the poor investments that they've made. But yeah, I mean, it happens. But as far as figuring out a, a holistic plan, something that you can do that's sustainable, those kind of conversations really don't happen, no. And so now you've got this wealth management firm called Sweven. And, and why that name and what does it mean? As I was thinking of a way to kind of put this whole firm together, I wanted to do it in a sense of what I would have wanted available to me when I first started playing and all throughout my career. It was kind of a vision of what I thought could be useful to me, questions that I would have, the ways of investing and, and different things like that. And, and the word Sweven in Old English means vision or dream. So I felt like, you know, with Sudden Wealth, with the SW, I, I felt like it had a nice little tie and could have been an appropriate name for the firm. And, and so this idea of sudden wealth, which is something I'm personally interested in, it's been part of my career and it's not been through professional athletes. It's been through people in the startup or technology world where an unusual amount of wealth accumulates very, very rapidly and beyond what some people would say was their you know, their real contribution. It wasn't that they didn't work hard and all that kind of stuff, but man, they got paid a gob of money for the time they were placed there. And so what do you think is unique to professional athletes and the sudden wealth that's occurring there that might be different or same as somebody who gets it through business or through inheritance or, or what else? How, how would you respond to that? You know, I think the, the first thing that would be unique to an athlete with their sudden wealth experience would be the age that they come into the sudden wealth and I think the inexperience that they might have. So if you're in a more traditional business, you would have some sort of experience about how to manage your money. And then if you had a sudden wealth event, you would have some idea of what you've been doing over the past. I'm sure the numbers would be differently, but you'd be able to maybe implement some of those principles. Conversely, with, with an athlete, you've been working on this sport or, or trying to perfect this craft for pretty much your whole life. You've spent the majority of your time, you know, playing and, and, and doing that. And then a lot of the guys don't have a formal, you know, traditional education. So you're, you're kind of put in this situation where you have this amount of money, you don't know how to really manage it. And then also at the same time, you're concentrating on making a career for yourself and, and it's an extremely competitive environment. So you have a bunch of different factors that are going on that I think are unique to athletes as opposed to other sudden wealth recipients. So then given that that particular makeup of that equation, and then you throw in that they're you're young, right? I mean you you're you're really young. I assume don't know who to trust. A lot of people want access to you. So what are those emotional 
and may, maybe even the relational challenges of wealth that that most people don't realize that occur that are practical realities of, of your world when that starts yeah, to I occur. I think for a young athlete, it it really comes down to managing relationships with family and friends and things like that. And especially with with an athlete, you normally get as a as a young player like a starter contract, a rookie contract that. If you do well, then you go to a second contract, which is a substantial increase. So with this first contract, I think what guys end up doing is they, they find themselves in a situation where you have a lot of people that come and approach them for, you know, loans or they feel like they owe people money and they end up gifting a lot of money. And the cold hard truth is that a lot of these athletes, they're not going to have a 10, 12, 15 year career. So a lot of them, this, three or four year rookie contract is going to be all you're really going to get. And if you fall into the the fact of gifting money and, and becoming a partner with, with your friends or things like that, it, what it does is it, it kind of puts you behind the eight ball and, and you're kind of swimming upstream and it's a difficult thing to, to correct. And so when you're in that environment where you've got these relational challenges, you got friends and other people that want access to you and your money, what is the gatekeeper mechanism that allows people to, or, or these athletes or you even, how did you navigate that? So you, so you didn't make some of the same mistakes as maybe I assume some of these people did make. Yeah, I think you just have to be willing to have difficult conversations. You have to understand that there are some relationships that maybe aren't going to be as sustainable as you had hoped. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to really be able to to talk to somebody and explain to them what your situation is and why it might not be the right time for you to make this investment or to give a gift of money in a, in a certain amount. And I think that there is an idea that, you know, people will say, oh, well, you should have like a standard, you know, talk to my advisor or you should have a standard line for people. And people know that people are persistent. People aren't going to stop when it comes to money and, and things like that. So. You just have to, at some point, you have to draw the line and you have to have those difficult talks. Did that happen to you? Yes. I mean, I've had, my career is is littered with relationships that I had hoped would be long-term relationships, you know, with, with friends and stuff like that. But, you know, you have to have these conversations and some people don't understand. And, you know, it's better to find out sooner rather than later. And especially sooner when you, you can keep your money rather than giving it to somebody and realizing that it's, you know, that that's what this person is out for. So it sounds to me like you uh, learned somehow through watching other guys or something that I, I need to have these conversations. Or was that part of your upbringing that your parents gave you around money? Or how, how did you create this support system that allowed you to maybe traverse this area that most people struggle with? You know, I think it just comes down to I wanted what was best for myself. I felt like I was the one that was out there putting in the work. You know, there were people that were very important to my success. And I was able to, to help them in certain ways. But there are a number of kind of peripheral people that just were there trying to get a quick payday. And, you know, you just, it, the people are very persistent. And after a while, you know, you have to, you have to kind of cut it off and you have to have that conversation. And I think guys, guys just don't do that. And um, that's one of the things that I tried to instill in, in guys when I talk to them is like, you have to be willing to have these conversations because you're the one that's out there on the court. You're the one that's putting in all the work, you know, and, and you're the one that when your career is done, because the NBA or whatever uh, league you play in, you know, they're finished with you and, and that's it. Your, your capacity to earn is never going to be as great as it, as it is at this time. You have to be willing to, to step up and have that conversation for yourself. 
So it sounds like some of the trajectory that some of these guys were on led to unfortunate outcomes where either they weren't able to have these conversations or I'm guessing lifestyle ramps up beyond where it should and isn't sustainable. Is that is that another risk to where you're at? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the, the lifestyle ramping up is huge. You know, if you can live like a rookie throughout your career, then you'll have as your salary increases, you have a great chance to be successful. But I think even even as guys, you know, transition into their post career when they retire, I think they, they get into trouble because you have this life where you're defined by your ability to play this game and then you stop playing. And it happens at all different times for people and you're on your own and you have teammates that you were that you were playing with and they're still playing and the whole show goes on without you. And, and for the majority of people, and it's not just athletes, but your work really defines you and you'll see people and people always ask you, you know, what do you do for work? Well, as an athlete, especially an NBA player, you're so tall. I mean, you stand out, you know, you know all your life, people don't even ask because most of the people know that you, you play basketball and stuff. And then all of a sudden, somebody asks you, you know, what are you doing now? And you really don't have an answer. And you want to show that you're not defined by this game. The game isn't just going to be finished with you and you want to make an impact. So then you reach with investments and you want to show that you're still relevant and you show you can do these things in other industries. And I think that's where it it kind of leads to, you know, negative kind of results. You overreach to solve this identity problem that's been defined by basketball. And now I've, I've got to kind of create something new. I've got to create a, a new way to explain who I am. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly. And there's no shortage of people who are there to facilitate some sort of partnership in some sort of business or industry. And, and the fact of the matter is you've spent the majority of your life in a gym. You don't know about you know, just as an example, if, if it was a restaurant, you don't know about what it takes to run a restaurant or, you know, something like that. And you're just you're just dumb money throwing it at a thing and hoping for the best. And that's that's not a good way to go about, you know, especially if you're if you retire and you're 30 years old and average lifespan for an American male, 75, something you've got 45 years to kind of figure this out and have your money bridge that gap. It's it's not a it's not a good thing. And and how did you think about that when your career ultimately came to an end? How, how did you traverse the same identity divide and, and come out the other side? You know, I think it occurred towards the end of my career as I got more involved with my, my finances. I was great at saving money, but I wasn't as good as I should have been at the idea of monitoring and understanding the underlying investments in my plan. And I think that issue led to some overreactions as markets did their normal fluctuations and things like that. And then I wanted greater involvement. So I went and I looked through my whole portfolio and found the different investments. I wanted to understand why each one was there, what investments were going to, you know, what were expected to, to for capital appreciation, what were expected to produce an income and, and things like that. I think doing that got me to a place where I understood what my investments were doing. I took a more hands-on approach and it really was a sense of calm for me. And it gave me the opportunity to, instead of looking for ways to make money, gave me an opportunity to go and to do things that really were interesting to me. So I was able to go back to school and, and go to a school that was different from the one that I went to and, and do things like that and pursue opportunities that weren't based solely on making money. And if you could roll the clock back to your rookie contract, and, and I love the statement, by the way, what you said earlier, it's kind of like a bumper sticker would be like, play like a pro, but live like a rookie. That's kind of an interesting concept. But if you could roll the whole thing back and you could do it again, what would you do differently? I would determine an asset allocation that I was going to stick with. I would invest in index funds 
and I would keep my costs as low as possible. I would rebalance as as things kind of got out of my different allocation bands. Yeah, I, w- I would do that. And then as the money increased, I would just increase the amount based on my allocation, whether if it was 40, 45% risky assets, I would keep it in that area. And I would just continue to kind of stack up the money and, and save as much as I could and not try to get fancy with any kind of exotic investments or anything like that. I would keep it pretty simple and vanilla. Would you do anything different in regards to lifestyle or any of the other mistakes maybe you made along the way? Or is it all pretty much around just how you invested the money? It would be how I invested the money because my lifestyle, I was fortunate in that I was able to uh, secure a big contract. And I'm not the type of guy that let my lifestyle creep up. I'm fine with living like a rookie. My, My life was fantastic. So it was just, I was great at saving the money, but having a more efficient way to make it grow and work for me rather than what I did. I think that would be the the ticket if I could go back. How important was your upbringing around money or around what your parents taught you or didn't? Or where did that come from that a lot of people maybe who are younger and who come into money don't have a grounding that would lead them to that direction? And I'm curious if there was something that your parents taught or the way you were raised that that led you to that outcome. No, (laughs) there wasn't really. My parents and I, we really didn't have any conversations about money. I knew, and you hear all the horror stories about professional athletes losing their money. So when I had that opportunity, when I signed my first contract, I knew at all costs that I was not going to fall into that category. So I saved as much as I could. And, you know, you see some of the spending that guys would would do, and I just didn't see the point. So it wasn't necessarily any conversation, but I think it was more fear-based on the fact that I knew that I didn't want to go down that route of being a professional athlete that lost all his money or, you know, being a guy that retired and then within five or six years was in financial stress and and things like that. So, yeah. So that was pretty much my, my motivation. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting and and very cool. How did philanthropy then become such a big part of, I would say your mission of what you're trying to do and, and, and help people? How, How did that happen? You know, I, th- I think it was just the, the fact of paying it forward. I got to a point as I started to really get in and, and take a deep dive into my finances towards the end of my career, I found that what I was doing was sustainable and I was in a lucky position where I wasn't going to do things for money where I needed to work for money. And I wanted to do something to to contribute. And I think a lot of times, you know, money is it's a tremendous tool that gives you a bunch of choices and it gives you independence. A guy described it to me as, and it really resonated as stored energy and allows you to do what you want. And I think a lot of times people that are either sudden wealth recipients or athletes and things like that, they just aren't creative enough with what they can do. And they allow consumer culture to kind of grab the mic and tell them what they should be doing and what things are important, whether it's having all these cars, houses and stuff like that. And that just, it didn't seem like that was fulfilling. You know, it's like a staircase that never ends. And I think you get fulfillment through contribution and connection and things like that. So I think getting involved in in helping others is a way to really find that fulfillment, contribution and uh, connection. Well, I'm I'm a huge believer in my book. I just wrote the Wealth Creators Playbook. I mean, it's all about contribution. I, I mean, you you couldn't have said it any better. This idea that we're we're created to bring our gifts and our talents and whatever to improve something in the world beyond ourselves. And I am always fascinated, though, by the fact that people that have wealth and in a lot of cases can do anything don't. To your point, and sometimes I think it can be because it's risky. 
and it might mean that it could in some way impact their own comfort and their own sufficiency. And so I think that's part of it, but I think it's really unusual to have somebody get to that place on their own unless there was somebody who taught you that. And I, I'm curious about that. How how'd you get that that belief system? Because that, that is unusual. I don't know. I think you just you just get to a point where you, you say like, you know, what, what are you going to do? There's always something more. There's always something that you can do. There's more money and, you know, you can always do this. But I think, you know, when you look at it, you, you go and you try and transition from a, an attitude or, or a place of scarcity where, you know, I don't have enough. It's like you have more than enough, you know, you have more than enough. And what you should be doing is you should be you should be helping people. And and you transition from scarcity to one of almost contentment or abundance and and you you want to help people. And, and I just think that, like you said, there's too many people that are operating from from this this mindset where they, they don't have enough and you know, that fulfillment is going to come from a trip or, or something else. And, and it's just, I just don't see that that's a, a good way to live. So tell everybody a little bit about your firm. What really caught me was, and, and part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you was this idea that you're giving away 100% of the profits of your business. And I, can you just tell everybody kind of how you got to that and, and tell us a little bit more about the structure of that and why you decided to do that? Because that's really unusual. Yeah, I, I think it's the right thing to do. There is a, there's a need, especially for financial literacy and consumer awareness for people to, to be educated and, and coherent on those two subjects. I think that's a, a tremendous need. You know, I think those things should be taught in schools, it should be, you know, mandatory. And I found a way to kind of use my experiences and the things that I've been through over the past, you know, 15, 18 years with my own personal journey financially and kind of use those and figure out a way to not only help some of these people that are in these sudden wealth uh, situations, to also help these kids that are trying to figure it out, that are in high school, trying to navigate their first credit card or student loans and things like that. So that was a driving factor. And then I think the other thing is, and I saw this myself, people in, in sudden wealth, they, they're always being approached by people with an investment or an idea or something like that. And and you always kind of look at it and you say, okay, well, it might sound good, but what does this person stand to gain out of, you know, this relationship or me being involved in this investment? And I would always approach it like that. And it, it just never seemed like I was sitting on the same side of the table as someone. Even when I had an active manager, I just, I just felt like I was putting up all the risk and we were sharing the reward. And I wanted to be able to create kind of a situation where someone that I was dealing with or, or a client or something like that would be able to say, you know, this guy is on my side and this guy stands to gain nothing out of this. So I think those were the two things that kind of drove me to, to set up this structure here with the firm. And, and how is the firm build going? Do you have employees? Is it just you? You know, it, it's so missional. It almost sounds like, uh, you know, you could use the word ministry or some other term that's, I mean, even for me, I'm doing wealth and life coaching as an extension of what I've done in the wealth management business, in part, largely because of what you just said, to bring this freedom to people that a lot of times are just stuck. And it's not about building more wealth management clients. It's about freeing people to use the money they have and, and create a meaningful purposeful life of contribution. And so I, I hear you languaging this a little different than me, but it's very similar. And I, I'm curious about how you're going to build this thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm here in a position where right now I'm just taking calls from prospective clients and, and having meetings and things like that and trying to build up a client base. 
to your point to what you just said when I mentioned earlier in, in the conversation about when we would have these groups of players that would come in for these financial literacy things and they would be afraid to ask questions. You know, there was a fear because they didn't know what this person was going to, you know, how they were going to react or if, if they were going to be made fun of or, or things like that. By doing it this way, you know, people will call me up and they'll ask a simple question. They're so grateful to be able just to, to get a straight answer and to not be judged and everything like that. And I, I found the same thing when I was dealing with an active manager, a trepidation to, to ask a question or, or something like that. But, but yeah, so just trying to build it out now and, and trying to get people headed in the right direction. No, that's wonderful. I'm curious how you're thinking about the nonprofits you're going to choose for the money and how, how did you go through that process to select them? Yes. Yeah, so that was the hardest part of the entire thing was trying to find nonprofits that kind of fit with the vision of what I wanted the company to be about. And, you know, I wanted it to be about, you know, contribution, responsibility and leadership and things like that. And I wanted the nonprofit to be independent of any kind of messaging. You see, I've sat through a number of financial literacy programs and you see who they're sponsored by. And it just doesn't make sense if, if there's a company sponsoring a financial literacy program and you know, you have people that will become better stewards of their financial situation, it would actually hurt the company that is putting on the specific program. So to me, I, I felt like there was a lot of conflict there and I didn't want to really support any programs that already had messaging that was being directed by a larger corporation. So I found two independent programs. They both fall under the idea that in order to teach kids about money, they have to have money to manage. One is based out of Wisconsin, and they operate with a philanthropic kind of outlook where they donate money to specific nonprofit organizations, but they look at consumer awareness, and when they're determining what nonprofit organizations to donate to, they look at the return on the investment, how much money of the donation goes to administrative things and, and different things like that. So it gives the kids an idea of really looking at the fine print and knowing rather than just donating money or, or spending money to kind of know things to look for. And then there's another program. It's in a, a charter school in inner city Philadelphia that has kids, gives them specific jobs within a school, whether it's starting a program, starting a club, things like that. And they get paid to do that. And they're able to open up a small bank account, whether it's a savings or a checking account, and they get money deposited in there. And what it does is it gives them, you know, a start with managing money and looking at compound interest and things like that. And a lot of the kids parents in this specific area, they don't have accounts at banks of their own. So this is a way to kind of get these kids going in the right direction and, and really give them a head start that a lot of the other people in the area don't have. Oh, that's very cool. How long have you been building this company? I launched about a month ago and I have just putting it together probably about six months prior to that. So if it was five or 10 years from now, what what would be success for you with this venture? And have you thought about that? If we were sitting here five or 10 years doing a follow-up podcast, which is a long time from now, but you know, what would be your definition of success on, on this? And would it be fulfilling enough? And do you see there's something beyond this? Yeah, that's a great question. I think success would be having clients that get to a place of kind of enough where they understand where it's not this perpetual staircase of trying to make more and more money, but clients actually getting a place where they can contribute and where making a contribution is important and they're interested in making a difference. Because especially for, for athletes and things like that, the, 
the towns that they come from, they, they represent to college towns, to the places where they grew up. They represent such hope and, and they have such an opportunity to make a difference. And I think if you take the opportunity to just accumulate more and more rather than trying to make a difference and contribute in whatever way you decide it might be, I think that would be success to have clients understand and make that transition, I think would be a really successful thing for us. Oh, that's very cool. I, I just have to ask, but who, who's the greatest NBA player of all time? Oof, all time. I think, it, you know, Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan, I, I have to say Jordan. Yeah. And how about something I talk about a lot, which is living fully. I believe we were created to live fully. I think that's an objective I, I want to see in people's lives, but it's something you got to define for yourself. And I'm just curious how you would see living fully defined in your life at this stage and and what would be the elements of that if you were to think about it what would be the components of life fully lived for you i really think it would be making a contribution growing personally getting a little bit better each day facing fears finding things that kind of scare me and working to master them i think in my experience that's been the greatest kind of personal win that i've ever had is finding things that make me nervous, things that I don't feel comfortable doing, and then actually going out and doing them. You know, to answer your question, I think to, to grow personally, to get better every day, and then to make a contribution to help others. I think that would be a, a good way to live fully. Phenomenal. I mean, I feel a kindredness of <laughs> those are responses that I, I can put my whole heart and soul behind. So I, I, it's just been really wonderful talking to you. And thanks for sharing some of your wisdom and experience with, with my listeners and, and greatly appreciate it. Not a problem. I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Troy Murphy. I so admire Troy's dedication to paying his experience forward in order to make financial education accessible to more people. It can be daunting to get up close and personal with your finances, but doing so will empower you to plan for your future, pursue new opportunities, and help others. If you'd like to know more about how to navigate the pitfalls of unexpected wealth, check out my new book, The Wealth Creator's Playbook, available now on Amazon. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell your friends about the show and leave us a review wherever you listen. It's always great to hear from you. You can reach me with questions and comments through social media at JC Christensen or over email at john at jcchristensen.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Now go live fully. Confidant is produced by Anna McLean and Target Marketing Digital. Our theme song is Day is Gonna Come by Royal Deluxe.